Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You may be the first president in history to go down because you can't stop inappropriately talking about an investigation. I can definitively say the president's not a liar. And I think it's uh, frankly insulting that that question would be asked. Up to now, we have no profiles in courage among the Republicans. Somebody really speaking out saying Trump is bad for the country. Hello and welcome to TrumpCast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Here we are in Hanover, New Hampshire, home of Dartmouth College, founded in 1769. In summer, Hanover, my hometown, becomes a colonial paradise for earnest people. And I grew up here learning first about butter churning and barn raising and noble, upright, honest folk. And then, naturally, about the Russians. The local school in the 1980s had an awesome, if the Russian loved their children too, lefty curriculum influenced by sympathetic Sovietologists. I remember taking a quiz on Russian meals and banyas and bread lines and how everything in Russia was bugged. And I also remember one question on a test about what Russians prefer, A, diamonds, B, furs, or C, limousines. I said furs. I was really confident. It was limousines. It was limousines. We learn more about Russia every day. And just today, we learned that Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has said there may be more meetings between President Trump and Russian President Vladimir Putin than we even have been told about, which suggests maybe that Donald Trump has been lying to us. Today, my guest is Dartmouth College government professor Brendan Nyan, who's co-authored a book about the deceptions of George W. Bush. But he says Donald Trump's dishonesty is much worse than Bush's in its frequency, severity, and brazenness. We'll be back talking to Brendan Nyan in just a minute. Joining me to talk about lies in the studio is Brendan Nyan. He's a Dartmouth College government professor. Welcome, Brendan. My pleasure. Great to be here. Um, so you, Brendan, are a keen student of high lies and mendacity. You're a student of lies. And we this week we have rich samples for your Petri dish. First, you're quoted in Daniel Dale's article in the Toronto Star about our prodigiously deceitful president. That article is called Donald Trump Said 414 False Things in His First Six Months. Unfortunately, that article came out on Thursday, not quite in time to capture more lies that the Trump that Trump rendered in um, in the New York Times. So, tell us a little bit about um, about the liar Donald Trump. Just tell us about the give us the landscape. Sure. 
Liar is a tough word because it implies an intention to mislead that's hard to prove in any given case. But the pattern of misleading and unsupported statements is obviously undeniable at this point. Um, It's almost impossible to keep track of Uh, what Daniel Dale has done at the Toronto Star is uh, both impressive and exhausting to think about what it must have required to document these 400 plus uh, false or misleading statements. I think the Washington Post has a similar compilation going. I think the New York Times has done one as well. It's quite remarkable. Uh, You know, I think people sometimes assume that there's lots of lying in politics and that this isn't that different. I, I feel like in some ways our cynicism is preventing us from being as shocked as we should be. Right. There's certainly dishonesty in politics. There are people who spin all the time. But the severity of these falsehoods and the frequency with which they're being promoted by the president himself and his aides and officials really is without precedent in my lifetime. And I wrote a book about the George W. Bush administration. There are obviously plenty of examples from the Obama and Clinton administrations. We can go through the list. But the absolute onslaught of these things is really incredible. And I do worry that it degrades the, the norm of truth telling, which we don't always honor, but uh, is, is under assault in a way we haven't seen in previous administrations. Um, what's the difference between his approach to lying and, say, Bill Clinton's or George W. Bush's? That's a great question. Right? So a lot of a lot of pres- famous presidential misstatements have to do with things that we can't access directly as the public, right? So yeah. when Bill Clinton describes his relationship with Monica Lewinsky, we weren't there, right? When George W. Bush describes the intelligence that he says is available to him about Iraq, we can't directly assess that information, right? Yeah. And so after the fact, as more information becomes clear, those statements get called into question. What Trump does so remarkably frequently is make statements that are immediately and obviously false with public information, mm. right? It takes 10 seconds of Googling to show that whatever he just said is false. But for example, the crowds at the at the inauguration were much smaller than they were. We just had a photograph of that. Um, I'm going to propose something. And I, I also, I love your taxonomy of lies and I want to hear it. But I want to add to them a little bit um, something from uh, reality television, his, tra- his extensive training in reality TV. He's now... Hulk Hogan said in his his lawsuit with Gawker, the wrestler, that he's playing a role when he talks. He's acting. He's acting. And lying and acting are different, right? And Alex Jones, I think, has said the same thing, that he plays a character um, and that he, sh- that he can't be responsible for the things he said because they're the things that, quote, Alex Jones says, or in Hulk Hogan's case, quote Hulk Hogan. He actually has a character that he's playing. And is it possible that Donald Trump sees himself as, like, playing for the camera and making these kind of strange, bloated statements that have no obligation to conform to reality because they're part of a psychodrama in his head that he's orchestrating. No, it, it certainly is possible. The, the, the showman persona is something he's cultivated for a long time, making outlandish statements, exaggerating, or even uh, making outright false statements is something that he used to great effect in his real estate business and his other business ventures for years or decades. Right? And it worked for him, right? It put him, it made him a very prominent national figure. And there's no reason to think he would stop doing that as president. Yeah. It's worked in the past. Politicians tend to repeat what's worked for them in the past. Mm-hmm. And so he's continued that that pattern along. What I think is is a useful way to think about this is the um is the the concept drawn from the the book on bullshit um yeah. about the utter indifference uh to truth, right? So there's a yeah. liar who knows the truth and withholds it from you intentionally, yeah. whereas in Trump's case sometimes he's saying things that he probably has no idea if they're true or not and he's indifferent to their accuracy. Yeah. Right? It's like not like he's that. holding back the truth. He's he's actually just saying He's just saying something. It might be true and it might not. And 
you know, he doesn't really care. Yeah. And also he, as they somehow the term of the day is he doubles down on these lies. So, you know, what do you make of that? Like he doesn't backtrack. He doesn't equivocate. He doesn't Mm -hmm. like split hairs. He just steamrolls over it and says something new the next day. Well, I mean, if there's if there's one pattern that we've seen besides the, the, the pattern of falsehoods is that he won't back down from anything. Like, yeah. He thinks it shows weakness and he practices a kind of dominance politics where you never back down. You never admit you were wrong. You never concede error. Some people have interpreted his continued false statements as a kind of assertion of power itself. Mm-hmm. Right. My ability to say something false and have you all know it's false and have you all assent to it anyway is a kind of power act. Yeah. Right. Even sending Sean Spicer out there to make ridiculous claims about his crowd size, people argued, implicated Spicer in that and made him kind of submissive to Trump's spin. Uh, right. So that's one way to think about it. Yeah. Um, I also think it, and you're you're uh, of my generation and, and remember this of the the famous quote from a Bush administration official about creating our own reality. Right. If you go back to about 2003, 2004, Ron Mm Suskind, the journalist, had an interview with a a Republican Bush administration official who said, you're in the business of of discerning what's true, but we're going to create our own reality. And there's Mm -hmm. often this dream that through words alone, we can kind of make a world the way we'd like it to be. And within a kind of epistemic bubble of the sort that Trump's often seems to be in and many of supporters, many of his most intense and hardcore supporters seem to be in, that may seem to be true. Right. I mean, there's this question of to what extent reality intrudes and contradicts those sorts of claims and how aware people within that bubble are uh, of 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 their actual falsehood. Um, Maybe we could talk about some of the lies that surfaced in this recent interview with The New York Times. We have the transcript of that interview. The Times published, uh, you know, it was a 45 minute interview and we got a long transcript and you got to just really hear what it's like to be in a room with Donald Trump when everything he says seems determined to make you feel crazy, to throw you off your game, to get you laughing with him, which seems to have taken place. We see stage directions in this transcript of, you know, some of the reporters laughing or, you know, having a good time with him. What do you make of this interview? And what are the lies that surfaced that are have gravitas to them that are not just jokey stuff about how fluent in Chinese his granddaughter is? So... I mean, I guess I would first say that um, even the fact that the New York Times reporters are able to get the president to sit down with them for an on-the-record interview is is a quite a remarkable feat of journalism. So I, I'm very impressed with Maggie Haberman. This was apparently intended to be an off-the-record getting-to-know-you meeting. It wasn't just Maggie Haberman, who's, who's great and been on the show, but also Peter Baker, um, Michael Schmidt. So, you know, he sat across, as I imagine it, three people and was willing to take their questions um, you know, from the the failing fake media. Um, and uh, yeah, that was quite a, um, I mean, if we're talking about dominance, um, it seemed like they won that room, the Times reporters. I think so. I, I, you know, I should disclose that I'm a contributor to the upshot at the New York Times. So I'm, um, I'm not a fully dispassionate observer here. But, you know, I think it's important to get the president on the record. Speaking um, publicly is an important function of a leader in uh in a, in a democracy yeah. and 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 the the president has done very few on the record uh interviews lately and that's very worrisome being asked questions and having to answer those questions on the record is an important form of accountability so i think this is a step forward in terms of what was worrisome to me two i think two particular passages jumped out mm-hmm. um the first is stating that the fbi person, as he calls it, the director, reports directly to the president of the United States, mm-hmm. um, he asserted, which isn't true. And it was, again, there was a suggestion of potential uh, 
actions he could take to undermine or hinder the investigation into Russia and other related activities. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was he refused to answer a question about whether he would remove Mueller and said it wouldn't come to that, but was trying to draw lines around where that investigation could and couldn't go, which is contrary to our understanding of the independence of the prosecutorial and judicial functions in this in this country. So I find that very worrisome. And the other issue, which we can talk about both of these in turn, if you like, is uh, the way he spoke about healthcare as if he didn't understand how insurance worked. Yeah. So many yeah. healthcare wonks were were aghast at the way he was describing health insurance as if a it cost. $12 a year or something, which many people said, sign me up. That sounds great. I don't think it exists. <laughs> um, but more seriously, he was describing it more like term life insurance. Um, he didn't seem to be understanding that this was this thing you pay into over time and that the healthy are subsidizing the sick. That's how the principle of insurance works. It's not something you get when you become old. Yep. Um, it was so garbled, it's, it's hard to understand. I mean, there's an element of word salad to many of these passages that make them very difficult to parse. The, the Times reporters are constantly having to clarify even what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but those are the two that I, that I found most striking. You know, in, okay, so let's go, th- go through both of them. He's giving us a history lesson when he tells us um, about the, quote, FBI person, the, the, we're assuming the director. He talks about Richard Nixon. When Nixon came along, it was pretty brutal. And out of courtesy, the FBI started reporting to the Department of Justice. But there was nothing official, nothing from Congress. I mean, what's strange here is that he's delivering this like a little bit of a lecture. He says, you know, but the FBI person really reports directly to the president of the United States. It's not like an offhand mistake. It's the way that you, as if he's just learned, he's really looked into the Constitution. And if you really kick the tires of it, he's discovered this thing. And he takes the time to tell us, which is interesting, you know, which is interesting. And then I think we're going to have a great new FBI director. It's very hard to confront a lie like that. You know, I think some people have criticized the Times reporters for not pushing back. But I would defy anyone to push back on when someone's bloviating about history and getting it all wrong. No, that's right. I I think there's this moment of hesitation where you say where you think that doesn't sound right. Yeah. But then you question yourself in the sense of gaslighting. You're kind of like. You start questioning your own understanding of the truth and you say, well, I guess I need to look into the legal history of the FBI director and their independence, you know, under the organization of the Department of Justice. And you spiral off in this whole thing. Meanwhile, the interview is going on. Yeah. And you don't want to interject if you're not 100 percent confident to say, no, Mr. President, that's wrong. Yeah. Right. And and, and you see that kind of frequently happening. It's why live fact checking is so difficult. And the journalists who do it effectively are are remarkable. Yeah. Um, I think it's just very hard to do for novel claims. It's much easier if Trump ah. goes into his shtick that we've heard a hundred times, right? Yeah. If he starts talking about millions of illegal votes, you you have to be ready. Yeah, that's right. To intervene, right? Yep. We've heard that for months now, and that can be challenged very directly. But something like this that's new, it's much more challenging on off the top of your head. It's also hard to keep your moral center in this because he he also talks about and, and this I guess isn't hasn't strictly speaking been identified as a lie but he talks about how disappointed he felt in Jeff Sessions as attorney general who because of his own implication in the Russia affair recused himself on that matter what do you make of that speech act or or the possibility of intervening in it and making sense of it in the moment it's difficult. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on there. Is, is he sending a kind of coded signal to Sessions that Sessions should resign? There were reports the next day that Trump's team were surprised that Sessions hadn't more seriously considered stepping down after this kind of rhetorical vote of no confidence. Yeah. Right? So you're as a reporter, you know, I can't get into their own head, but you would have a choice of trying to clarify what he's intending to signal. But there's only so much he's willing to make literal. Yeah. Right. And when you're going through that kind of signaling process. So it's very difficult to say. 
Because when you say, are you, are you saying X? I'll say no. Right. You know, he's just saying this is interesting or this yeah. is just a comment. Right. And it's it's left hanging what its implication is. But the president of the United States saying that the attorney general should not have served because he had to recuse himself from an investigation involving the president is very worrisome because it equates the the job of the chief law enforcement officer of the United States with managing an investigation of the president for him. Yes. Right. It identifies Trump with the state. It identifies the interests of, of Trump with the interests of the United States. And those are distinct and separate. The yeah. Department of Justice is a huge organization. Even if Sessions is, is wholly removed from this investigation, he has a vast job to do. The fact that Trump is saying he basically shouldn't have been attorney general because of this one thing, yeah. because it affects me, is both uh, dismissive of the, the scope of, of Sessions' job and, and disturbing in the sense that it's basically saying I should have had someone who could have managed this, you know, better for me. Right. And and because he can, he's 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 failing. So there's also the I mean, since we are in the habit of clocking Trump's lies and, and it's an assumption, I think, in the majority of people polled that, you know, he does frequently lie. It's hard to also notice that sometimes he keeps us off guard by telling the truth in this, especially about his motivations in this florid way. He has a, he has a tendency of boarding out what seem to be his his real motivations that other politicians might might withhold. Right? Yeah. So the most the most famous example is the the initial spin on Comey's uh, removal yeah. being about how he handled the Hillary Clinton investigation, which everyone found preposterous. Chivalry to Hillary Clinton. I mean, it, it's like who would doubt that? And, <laughs> and I think she owes him a debt of gratitude for his white knight status there. It, um, it was a very generous act. Yeah. Uh, but then he he had the interview with NBC, and he basically boarded out the Russia investigation was uncomfortable or you know awkward for him and this took the pressure off right yeah. or whatever the whatever the wording was right yeah. so he he basically conceded that the Russia investigation was the primary motivation for Comey's removal which is a remarkable statement i mean it it might be part of a, a potential obstruction of justice charge at some point yeah. right to put that on the record voluntarily is quite remarkable so he does have this tendency sometimes of actually telling us what he's doing. You know, I mean, one of Trump's uh, key characteristics is he makes subtext into text. Ah. And in this case, he really is making subtext into text in a very literal way. In some cases, that's been very effective for him. He's taken the kind of dog whistles of the past, say, in racial politics, and made them quite explicit. And that was part of his what was unfortunately a very effective campaign strategy. Yeah. But this is a case where it's probably not serving his interests. I want to one of the themes of Trumpcast has always been how can our president be brought to heel? Who could stand up to him? So, you know, in the primaries, you know, we talked about whether any of the other candidates had his number, certainly in the many debates with Hillary Clinton. How could she come to the podium and take him to task for the lies in the moment? You know, while the fact checkers are working overtime online, it really depended on the performance. How could she, you know, call him out on on the lies at the moment and not be dominated by him? And I think anti-Trump Americans have invested strongly in legal language in the judiciary as the place where the rubber will finally hit the road and we will get some answers. You know, I think the hope is that Mueller will corner him and that also this drip, drip, drip of information around Don Jr.'s, you know, meeting with a Russian lawyer. Um, But tell me about that. Do you think that the lawyers will finally be able to, I'm not talking about get an indictment, I mean, just be able to dismantle the wall of lies? That's a good question. Um, 
So I'm part of a group called um, uh, Brightline Watch that that tries to monitor the state of U.S. democracy. And one of the things that we do, so we do an expert survey where we ask people about um, what we think are some of the core functions of of democracy and how the U.S. is doing on those. And the one of the areas where we saw degradation in expert assessment of U.S. performance as a democracy in our most recent survey, which was conducted in May, was it in these institutional checks on on Trump's power, right? And this 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 survey was was being conducted right around when when Comey was fired, and our experts seem to be these are political scientists around the United States seem to be reacting to that and worrying about the the limits uh, on the executive and the constraints imposed by the other branches of government. Mm. Now it's true that the courts have partially reined Trump in on the travel ban, but the limits that are placed on on, on Trump um, are potentially weaker than they might appear, right? He um, he could remove Mueller and he could preemptively pardon everyone involved in this investigation, potentially up to and including himself as came out in stories uh, the night before we re- recorded. And at that point, there's very little that can be done other than an impeachment process. Mm. Um, this The pardon power is one of the only unconditional powers of the president. Yeah. There is no appeal. There is no role for Congress. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mueller himself is not an independent counsel in the sense that Ken Starr was. Mm-hmm. He, Trump might have to remove officials of the Department of Justice to find someone who would themselves remove Mueller, yeah. right? So if he ordered a Department of Justice official to remove Mueller yeah. and that official refused to, and then Trump removed them, you know, you could have a Saturday Night Massacre type process yeah. unfold. Yeah. Um, but he could ultimately remove Mueller. There's nothing There's nothing really stopping him yeah. in that sense. The ultimate backstop on all of this is Congress, mm-hmm. right? The threat of impeachment is what constrains these kinds of actions. And, you know, the more damaging that investigation is, the greater the temptation will be to interfere, mm-hmm. right? And that could, right, it's not clear that a sitting president can be indicted. It's more clear that information could be brought forward that would contradict previous statements on the record, Yeah. right, out of the investigation, right? Trump said this about his taxes and the tax returns say this. He said this about a meeting and, and this is what we actually found, right, and and so on. To the extent that that's damaging, there's there are steps he could take mm-hmm. and it's a political process to counter them. You know, that's why the impeachment process was set up. The problem is the founders didn't imagine a world of parties and they certainly didn't imagine a world of intense, the intense partisanship that we observe now. And so far, that's what's held back the constraints that congressional Republicans might otherwise impose. Yeah. Um, But they are the ultimate backstop here. Um, I think the investigation can will only be as successful as congressional Republicans enable it to be because they're the ones who backstop its independence and its continued existence. Have there been instances of pardons issued? And you referred to the fact that last night there was some breaking news about the president's sudden interest in just how pardons go down. I mean, just uh, he's feeling very Christian and forgiving right now. And so he wants to think about pardoning people. Are there examples of pardons of people who worked for the president, either cabinet members or uh, campaign workers? Um, Usually the they seem far flung. I think in one case Clinton might have pardoned a campaign donor. Is that right? That's that's right. At the end of Clinton's term, he he pardoned someone who had supported his campaign. I believe his name was Mark Rich. Yeah. And uh, at the end of uh, George, as George H. W. Bush was on his way out, yeah, he pardoned. Okay. I believe he pardoned Casper Weinberger, who was involved in Iran Contra. Okay. We'll um, we'll, we'll make sure that's correct. That's probably the closest 
So December 25th, 1992, New York Times, Bush pardons six in Iran affair, aborting a Weinberger trial, prosecutor assails cover-up. That's the the headline, right? Mm-hmm. So so George H.W. Bush had already lost his bid for re-election, and he granted full pardons to six former officials from Ronald Reagan's administration who were uh, implicated in the Iran-Contra investigation, of which he was also you know, which he was also wrapped up in, Mm -hmm. in in some ways, right? So that's probably the closest analog here. That was at the end of a presidency Mm -hmm. and that process had been going on years, for years. And I think largely people were ready to turn the corner. And so it didn't uh, cause the fuss that you would see if there were a preemptive pardon at the start of an investigatory process, Right. right? It's a very different act to pardon people at the end of a years-long investigation when the facts are largely known as opposed to at the beginning to prevent those facts from coming out. Um, We have to wrap up and both get back in the sunshine of um, beautiful New England in uh, July. But but partly being here in this colonial town where I grew up that has makes a principle of of earnestness over irony and rectitude, and it can be kind of silly at times, but um, but I'm just feeling like a kind of Pilgrim, and I want to hear: Will truth reassert itself? Will you know? That's like that seems like the question for itself. Will these? Will this degradation be arrested? Will the media be rebuilt? Will will some paradigm of truth be rebuilt? I hope so. Yeah. Um, I, I I guess I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. I think we should take what's going on very seriously. Look at what's happening in Poland right now. Yeah, uh, liberal democracy is 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 under threat in in a lot of places around the world, and we should take that that um that threat very seriously um but at the same time i do think there's uh a way we can rebuild our norms and institutions to work better in uh this new era right this different media landscape right you know we're already seeing the system trying to adjust to the rise of fake news and other things like that so i think there are are steps we can take um but um, it won't happen on its own. We have to do it. Yeah. Right. We yeah. have to not just accept that this is the way things are now, but we have to stand up for as Republicans or Democrats or independents, whatever we are, for the norms we all share and the institutions that um, that collectively govern us. That is uh, something we can't take for granted. Um, you know, this is where we come back to the, the famous quotation, a republic if you can keep it. Right. This a is a time that to, a time for testing for all of us. Thank you so much for being here, Brendan. My pleasure. Thanks. So that's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by the great Jason DeLeon. I have a reason that I'm kind of mad at you guys, and this is sort of, I, I really need to like get something off my chest. Every time I ask you to follow us on Twitter, at RealTrumpCast, that's at RealTrumpCast, I feel like you think about doing it, you put it in your pipe that you'll do it, but you're driving and you don't quite want to get over and touch your phone. Well, today, remind yourself that you're going to follow us, at RealTrumpCast. You follow all those other podcasts, and they're just lame knockoffs of TrumpCast. At Real Trumpcast, follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'm Virginia Heffernan.